On this episode of Cinema Smorgasbord Presents, we do our own stunts. Jackie Chan returns to Hong Kong after a less than successful American excursion and retreats to semi-familiar territory with 1982's Dragon Lord. Welcome to We Do Our Own Stunts, a chronological look at the life and work of martial arts superstar Jackie Chan. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the world's deadliest man, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm hanging and kicking, Doug. I'm doing the thing, you know. I'm over here working on my, my powerful moves, my deadly martial arts, and uh, it's going okay. You know, it's it's mid, really. Liam, we already all know, as listeners, that you are a, a practitioner of Caparara. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that we talked about that. Uh, <laughs> I so mean, you are. I think. I think practitioner is not a fair is not a fair term, but sure. <laughs> but you've rolled around a bit, right? You've done it. It's not rolling. You're thinking of of, of jujitsu, of Brazilian jujitsu. No, I, but you roll around in the dance type way. Look, when I'm thinking about this martial arts form, I'm thinking specifically of two things. One, that scene, and I think it's on Bach where you have someone fighting uh, using that as a way. You you notice by the way that I'm avoiding saying it because I can't say it properly. And also, there's one of the characters in Street Fighter who is. Uh, I, I don't think it's Ung Bak. I think it's the protector. It's probably the protector. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, uh, you're not thinking of the uh, of the uh, the movie that is all uh, Capoeira. The whole movie, the Capoeira gang movie, starring um... oh Doug. Oh, oh my boy. brain just shut down. Is it never back down? Is that the one? Something like that. It's it's the guy. Why can't I remember his name? Who the fuck are you trying to think of? <laughs> oh, uh, Mark Dacascus. Oh, right. He's okay. in a Capoeira movie. Okay. I forget what it's called from the 80s. So, uh, Doug, are you not familiar with Mark Dacascus' 1986, I think, 87 maybe, uh, Capoeira movie, where for some reason all the gangs in Miami are not Cuban, in fact. They are Brazilian, and they all do Capoeira. You're thinking of only the strong from the Yes. Movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. That movie though capoeira focused never sells any viewer on the idea that you can actually fight with capoeira because you can't it's not a real thing you can't actually fight people with capoeira that's not real well i mean that's that's part of the extension of a lot of these martial arts right i mean as as ufc destroyed a lot of the illusions about what is and isn't an effective way to beat somebody up fair that's fair that's fair (laughs) Liam, we're going to start today, as usual, by looking forward to the future. Uh, Today marks, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Jackie's return to Hong Kong after your beloved cannonball run. (laughs) And the big brawl as well. Um, And yeah, so we're talking about 1982's Dragon Lord today. On the next episode, uh, we're going to be talking about a movie that I've been looking forward to talking about for basically since we started this podcast, which is Fantasy Mission Force with Jimmy Wang Yu. And after that, we're going to go... We're really going to be moving backwards. We're going to be taking a step back to Lo Wei's kind of hacked together Fearless Hyena 2, which is just used as footage that was uh, from before all of this occurred. From there, we're getting into it. It's Winners and Sinners, then Project A, then Wheels on Meals, then Lucky You, Liam, right back to the U.S. for Cannonball Run 2. Oh, but we God. have like a, but we're going to like Winners and Sinners, Project A, Wheels on Meals, those are some biggies for us to be covering. And that's going to bring us into 1984 as well. So we're really kind of hitting really close to the golden age of mid-80s Jackie Chan coming up. And this movie, Dragon Lord, really feels somewhat transitionary, even though we're going to be kind of going back and forth in terms of the styles of the movies over the next few. This movie, particularly in the final act, feels like a move towards the kind of thing that we're going to be seeing later with Project A, where it's a little bit more prop-based, where it's a little less kind of old-school kung fu, almost dance-like martial arts sequences. This movie doesn't really have that. It's a kind of a different style of kung fu movie, even though it looks a lot like the kind of movies that we've uh, we've been covering, you know, throughout a 70s period. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting how this one is sort of, uh, in a lot of ways, not totally satisfying, but it really has a lot of elements from Jackie that I think we've been, you know, sort of anticipating. Yeah, 100%. And it, again, it, this feels, this isn't his most beloved movie, uh, not by a long stretch. It's actually one that kind of gets lost 
in the uh, in the conversations in terms of his, his 80s output for the most part. But I feel like it's an important one. And it's important for a number of reasons. And one of the biggest reasons it's important is because Jackie was so involved in the creative part of it. This is from his book, Never Grow Up, his most recent autobiography. He said, Back in Hong Kong, after my disappointing 1980 American misadventure, I was ready to use what I had learned in Hollywood about myself, my style, and my goals for action films. The movies I made with Ng Si Yoon were a new direction for martial arts films, but now that I'd signed with a new studio, I wanted to go in a more original direction. No longer would I lean on the tropes of the eccentric master and lazy disciple, nor would the narrative revolve around training. I wanted my scenes to be clean and simple, but with production values comparable to mainstream films. On this point, I would be very different from the older kung fu films like Bruce Lee's or the Shaw Brothers. In 1980, I made The Young Master, the story of a man who was kicked out of a school and goes off on his own mission to find his lost brother. It was a great success, and the film served as a marker, an end point. I was saying goodbye to the past and moving on to a new stage of my career. So what he's saying here is after his bad experiences in Hollywood with the big brawl, with Cannonball Run, he wanted to take what he learned from there uh, in terms of production value, and particularly because Golden Harvest had given him sort of a blank check in terms of the movies that he could make, he was going to to put some of that to play. He's going to put it to, to, to practice in his movies in Hong Kong. So what he did first is that he developed this movie that initially was going to be a sequel to The Young Master, the movie he was just talking about there, and it was going to be called Young Master in Love, and he was going to shoot it in Korea. And in fact, Liam... He did start shooting this movie in Korea, mm-hmm. shot for a few days, but it was already winter there, so he had to stop and spent $2 million on basically unusable footage. <laughs> so that Golden Harvest told him to stop, to, to, to shut down the production, and then he uh, kind of retooled things and shot it in Taiwan instead. So he said, the film I was making in Taiwan was called Dragon Lord. It was an exhausting shoot, and many people got injured. The hospital was full of our crew. All I thought about each day was getting the job done, and it felt like my brain was cracking from stress. Uh, he was also involved in the U.S. with this relationship, which we'll talk about in just a moment. A lot of the writing in both of his books, as both of his autobiographies, are about this relationship that he had started at that time period and how he was kind of screwed up inside because of it. I just don't find it as interesting as the material about the movies itself. But you kind of see where his head was. The funny thing is that in his earlier autobiography i am jackie chan which as a lot of people know it was co-written and who knows how much input he actually had on it he comes off as a much bigger asshole in it yeah (laughs) he's basically just ostracizing everyone in his general circle because he comes back from the the states and is just like he's like i'm taking care of my career i'm i'm going to be in charge of this i'm gonna you know do the action direction i'm gonna direct i'm gonna edit this movie liam i did send over a video to you i don't know if you had a chance to watch it and it's fascinating it is actually an American uh, uh, commentator, a news person, who was sent to Taiwan for Jackie Chan while he was making Dragon Lord. So she's on the set, you know, and she's speaking of it from a place of complete ignorance, right? She she knows that he's he, they're trying to build him because at that time he's still being pushed as this person in, in the Cannonball Run and, and the Big Brawl. But she's also like he's made 100 movies up to this point and, you know, he's making it up all as he goes along. Were you able to see that clip at all? I did. What did you think of it? Isn't it wild? It's amazing to see him actually directing this movie at, at this time period. It's also crazy because there, it's clear to me that from very early on, he was still trying to make the case of why he wasn't Bruce Lee. Yeah. Right? And that's sort of the tenor of this whole segment is, why is he not Bruce Lee? Yeah. Which is such a fucking bummer that he would even have to worry about that. You know, that... that the scope that Americans have for, um, you know, uh, probably Asian actors in general, but specifically Chinese ones, definitely, is are they or are they not like Bruce Lee? And that's a real bummer to me. Like, watching it, that was kind of depressing. On the other hand, watching him work was pretty fucking cool, actually. Especially, it ends with him, like, pretending to kick her over and over again and her yeah. getting scared. But you're right. I mean, we saw it also with the interviews that were around the big brawl in the U.S., where he was just like... It's funny because the story that we were told was that in Hong Kong, they were trying to make him the new Bruce Lee, which at first obviously was the case. And then he broke through, was was massively famous, and then he comes to the U.S. and they're just asking him all the same things that he probably was asked, you know, like six, six and seven years previous to that. Um, and just having to break through because from the American perspective, the only major Chinese star was Bruce Lee. And that was a decade before that. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy actually, and the 
the the idea that she's trying to explain his style, but a lot of the clips she's using are actually from his American films where yeah. he barely got to do his style. Absolutely. Right? And it shows that clip of the the one fight from the Cannonball Run which all the all the all the the uh, the the, the kicks and punches are like a mile away from everybody. <laughs> and then you show him like just briefly directing on set where it looks, you know, it, it actually is, it really is illuminating. It's amazing that this footage even exists. Uh, but uh, yeah. And it's, you know, he, he speaks in English, you know, talking to her as well. There's also a clip on YouTube. If you do a search, which actually has a little more behind the scenes of him directing this from a Japanese television show as well. This is obviously, there was a lot of attention being paid to his return to Hong Kong. Uh, so this is from his earlier book, um, I Am Jackie Chan, where he talks about wanting to make this movie and trying to pitch it, and uh, specifically the reaction of his manager, who he was he was kind of uh, alienating at the time. His manager said, Jackie, it sounds like an ambitious project. Of course, anything you want will support you, but I feel like you need to think things over a little bit. Relax. Perhaps look up some of your friends. Take a vacation. You're young. You should live life, right? I shook my head angrily. I've had enough time off. I'm a filmmaker and I want to make films. I've had enough of being a trained monkey in other people's circus shows. Leonard sighed. Well, Jackie, do as you choose. Get started immediately if you'd like, but I just want you to remember there are important things in life besides work. Don't put them aside and don't forget about them because you never know when it might be too late. I wasn't in a mood for lectures, so I just thanked him and left the room. So then, yeah, he goes off to initially Korea uh, and, uh, and then eventually to Taiwan to make Dragon Lord. The picture ultimately took almost a year to finish, almost forever by Hong Kong clocks. To his credit, Leonard hardly pressured me at all, checking up on me more out of concern for my emotional state than the amount of time and money I was spending. Besides, Southeast Asian distributors had already put up plenty of cash for release rights, so Golden Harvest wasn't likely to lose any money regardless of how much I spent. Willie, on the other hand, could barely keep himself from pulling me aside and giving me a spanking. The truth was, I was out of control, and no one was in a position to put me back in line. Leonard had kept to his promise that I'd never have to get budget approval for my films, but Dragon Lord, the latest title for Young Master in Love, had set a new record for money spent and wasted. I'd hired dozens of stuntmen, partly because of my ambitious cinematic vision, and partly because everyone and his brother, lured by the sweet smell of money, was now asking to join my team. I'd shot entire sequences, only to change my mind about the storyline at the last minute, sending miles of footage into the garbage bin. And for one scene alone, a martial arts contest that had dozens of stuntmen scrambling up a rickety pyramid, battling one another all the way to the top, I actually set a Guinness World Record for the most takes used in a single film sequence. Over 2,900, Liam. 2,900 for that sequence. Do you believe it? I do, actually, because that sequence is such chaos. It is chaotic, no doubt about it. Um, there are, for those who have not seen Dragon Lord before, there's two kind of major sequences that you could cut out and just show somebody from this. And they might think that this is like the wildest, craziest Kung Fu movie there's ever been. And they are amazing sequences, but they're almost entirely disconnected from the rest of the movie. One is that pyramid slash football sequence. Later, there's a game of what's called Gen Z, which is sort of like a cross between soccer, uh, European football, uh, and badminton so they use like a badminton birdie and they play soccer with it and that is a lengthy sequence yes please well and that is the that is the what's considered the more ancient version the contemporary thing is actually badminton doug it's just played with with the foot birdie instead of the badminton birdie. oh yeah that's right absolutely yeah yeah But but they but if you read the article about it they say a more ancient version is similar to soccer. And of course, some scholars in China think that was the precursor to soccer. But of course, every culture claims they have the precursor to soccer because everyone loves soccer. So they all want to take credit for it. But this is that. And I got to, I got to say that sequence, uh, Doug was pretty crazy for me because, uh, you know, people who listen to the show, hopefully know that on Cinepunks, I have a co-host, Josh Alvarez, who is Filipino Growing up, one of my best friends was also a Josh who was Filipino, but his last name was Delicana. And he used to make a version of the birdie that's in this movie. But instead, oh, of, instead of feathers, he'd use a plastic bag. So you get two uh, nuts, you know, like uh, not nuts like you eat, but nuts like uh, for like a screw, you know. And yeah, yeah. You, you put a plastic bag and tie a knot and then you shred the rest of the plastic bag. So it's like. Uh, streamers behind it and we would use that uh, and this is apparently one of the things they use it for in the other places too for like almost like a kind of hacky sack but you would it's harder basically to do and you can do more tricks with it and then he told me oh well this is one thing you can do with it but you can also do a version of badminton with it and a version of soccer and that he used to do it and you know what Doug I did not believe him because it seems so psychotic (laughs) and as you know we're old enough that the internet was not a thing so I couldn't 
look it up at the time. I just thought Josh is fucking pulled by like because he would do that sometimes about various things from the Philippines or other parts of the world. And he would just make shit up and then later be like, no, I made that up. That's not true. So when he told me that, I'm like, you can't play badminton with this fucking thing with your feet. Like that would be too hard. And I was wrong, Doug. That's a real thing. And so is apparently this weird version of aerial soccer that they play in this movie, which is Incredible, but we'll get there when we talk about the movie proper. <laughs> I mean, I, I've seen lots of footage of the badminton version of it, even in recent years. Uh, and so I knew that that was something that existed. The, the, the way that they play the soccer version in this seems like it takes so much concentration. Because like, uh-huh, like uh-huh. Not, not that the badminton version doesn't, but it's just you and another person, right? You're just going back and forth. The idea of having to do it collaboratively, it seems like an impossibility. By the way, I've read in several different places that the the shots that took like a, a thousand different setups in order to film was in that sequence instead. And I don't know if the, the autobiography is accurate or not, but at the very least, what we're really taking away from this is that Jackie was a perfectionist in regards to how he wanted to make these sequences work. I also want to say that even though I did say that those two sequences are kind of superfluous, the soccer one isn't as superfluous because one of the things that he does, the skills that he has in that he does use later in the movie, but like it feels kind of, uh, um, unnecessary to include, right? I, I mean, it's I, so long. I think you could make the argument, Doug, that uh, it's actually the uh, criminal subplot that is superfluous, and this is just a, <laughs> a sports movie gone wrong. <laughs> I mean, you you could definitely make that case. Uh, th- this uh, section ends with this. It says, months late and hundreds of thousands of dollars over budget, I finally finished Dragon Lord. The triumph of completing the film was a cold one. My breakup with Teresa put me into a state of depression. Suddenly, the original title of the film, Young Master in Love, seemed bitterly ironic. But at least the movie was finished, and I had every hope that it would restore whatever shine my star had lost with my American failures. I was wrong. Though it did all right in Japan and elsewhere in Asia, in Hong Kong, Dragon Lord was a box office disaster. Uh, and as usual, I just want to end here with a little bit uh, from uh, the book Jackie Chan Inside the Dragon by Clyde Gentry III. This is specific about... The uh, idea that this was kind of a important film for the development of Jackie's stunt team. Uh, for Dragon Lord, Chan added two more men to his team of stuntmen, dubbed Sing Karpan, known to the rest of the world as Jackie's stunt team. One of them, Chung Wing Fat, first met Chan in 1967 during his own tour of duty in a Peking opera school. Uh, Ch- um, Chung Wing Fat would later be renamed Mars uh, for reasons which we'll probably get into uh, at a later uh, episode because Mars is someone that we're going to see over and over. And Mars ends up being the kind of co-star of this movie. Mars is the comedian of the group and he always has a joke to tell on the set, said Tai Po, who was uh, one of the other people uh, involved with the stunt team. This development of the Jackie Chan stunt team, that's going to be so important for not only this movie, for those large kind of group sequences, but also for the movies that are going forward as Jackie becomes a lot more stunt focused as a performer as opposed to kung fu focused, right? Even though he'll be doing plenty of that as well. Dragon Lord was Chan's decisive move toward more westernized ways, leaving much of the Chinese culture to simply blend into the background. The cowboy character is an obvious signal. He and Chan are hunting with western guns when they come across the film's thieves. Chan seems more concerned with meeting girls, playing with his friends, and just playing goofing off than meeting his Chinese obligations as his son. Chan's character doesn't seem to care about Chinese history or even the preservation of rare artifacts, which is what the thieves are stealing. And Chan came up with the idea of artifact theft while running through many of the plot synopses at Golden Harvest. So yeah, and by the way, so the, the relationship that was mentioned a little bit earlier. This is with a uh, a singer and actress named Teresa Tang, uh, aka Tang Li Chun. She was like basically one of the most famous singers in all of China at that time period. She actually died quite early uh, in in May 1995, but uh, she was known as the Eternal Queen of Asian Pop. And Jackie actually met her on the set of the Big Brawl of all places, and they developed a relationship that ended badly. And apparently, you know, in both of the books, Jackie does not present himself as being very. Um, it really does present him as being at fault when it comes to the the uh, d- dissolving of that relationship. In fact, I mean, that's one difference between those two autobiographies, as I already mentioned. Jackie really comes off as a bit of a dick in the older one, and I think that's probably realistic. He does kind of say over and over, he was out of control. What do you think about that, Liam? The idea that, that Jackie uh, came back from the U.S. with a chip on his shoulder in regards to what he wanted to create. I mean, I think that would make sense because based – not just on him talking about it, but even from watching the movies, he was not respected when he went to Hollywood, right? No. Like he wasn't treated the way he was used to be to being treated. And I think his efforts when he got home was trying to say, 
if I prove myself here, then that will have ripples in the rest of the world. And knowing that that is actually true, but it wouldn't happen by him coming back and being a dick, right? That like, it's going to take a while and he's going to have to do things even more differently than he is now. Mm -hmm. And eventually he will get that attention, but it's not going to come at this point when he's just literally trying to flex his ego in a way that is not helpful for anything. He's also been given, you know, this is one thing that I've seen in later interviews. He's been given all of this money for the first time. I mean, just think about it. This is still 80, you know, he's filming this in like 81, 82. And he, we're only like three years removed from Snake and the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken Master. And he spent all this time in the U.S. And of course, as we know, one of the reasons he went to the U.S. is because of all this threat. He's now returned to Hong Kong. He's still a huge, huge star there. He has all of this money for the first time. He has the ability to spend it. I think because of Jimmy Wang Yu, he doesn't have that threat hanging over him anymore. Yeah, I mean, that is, it seems like a uh, a recipe for disaster in regards to him, you know, destroying himself and destroying his career. It's kind of amazing that he was able to get things back on track, to be honest with you. I think we're going to have a rough period here for a little while on this show, but uh, I think once we get back to some of the, the movies that really shine, it's like, it doesn't matter that in this period things were rough because he, he does get it back together. And honestly, it's a pretty short period where before we get to things like Project A. I mean, this is 1982, but we're, we're only talking about 1983. But that's just because of how long this movie was in production. Liam, let us take a break. It's time for us to talk about a very strange movie in a lot of ways. It's 1982's Dragon Lord. A bullseye. Pretend we're practicing. Father. Well, carry on. Uh. <sighs> right, well, that's it. What? Do we have a plan of attack? Are you nuts? We don't need one. What happens when the two of us like the same thing? I have no idea. I did warn you. Are you all right? Uh, no problem. We've risked our lives to get our hands on this consignment of antiques. I'm not going to let you steal it. Yeah, right. I won't let you either. The adventures of a restless martial arts student called Dragon, who, while constantly pursuing a girl, gets involved in the affairs of a gang of thieves. It's 1982's Dragon Lord, a.k.a., as we said, Young Master in Love, a.k.a. Dragon Strike, which is what it was known as on video in the U.S. Uh, this is the plot as described from the earlier book, I Am Jackie Chan. The film was originally supposed to be a sequel to Young Master, but the continuity between the two films got thrown out and we changed the movie's name to Dragon Lord. The movie begins with me sending a love note to my girlfriend on the other side of a wall via balloon. Unfortunately, the wind sends it in the wrong direction. I go after the balloon, only to find myself inside the headquarters of a gang of thieves who are smuggling precious artifacts out of China. Dragon Lord didn't do as well as we hoped in Hong Kong, but the Japanese market loved it. They seem to love everything, Jackie. By the way, Liam, as you know, that's not how the movie starts. Not even nope. close. Nope. <laughs> that doesn't happen for like literally half the movie. That doesn't happen in either versions of the movie, which we'll talk about. There's a, a couple that we could talk about. The movie was released in Hong Kong on January 21st, 1982. And it is notable for a number of different reasons in terms of the transitionary period. But one of the most important is that this is the first Jack, Jackie Chan film to include outtakes. Uh, he says that he was inspired to do it by the bloopers at the end of the Cannonball Run, which uh, Jackie Chan also appeared in. And all of his subsequent, well, most of his subsequent movies would include those outtakes. Though I have to say, Liam, the outtakes in this movie aren't as kind of directly comical or honest, honestly interesting as they would be little later on. They don't even really seem like outtakes. A lot of them just seem like uh, greatest hits of the stunts from the movie. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but as we'll see later, a lot of the times the uh, the outtakes at the end are more to show Jackie actually getting hurt on set than they are anything else. This was, as uh, The Young Master was previously, directed by Jackie Chan. And it was written by Jackie Chan as well as Edward Tang, who would actually become Jackie's most important writing collaborator. He would go on to write or co-write Project A, 
Armor God, Police Story 2, Drunken Master 2, Rumble in the Bronx, among other Jackie Chan classics, and Barry Wong, who was a writer and actor and actually also wrote The Prodigal Son, which Jackie did not appear in, but is terrific, as well as like a whole series of Hong Kong classics, Mr. Vampire, Yes, Madam, Eastern Condors, Fight Back to School, and Liam, a writing credit on John Woo's Hard Boiled. So yeah, talk about having a, 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 a deep foot in Hong Kong action history. Uh, this stars Jackie Chan as Dragon Ho, uh, Mars, as we've already mentioned, as Cowboy Chin. Two of them are kind of the, the main stars of it. The big villain in it, the big boss, is Huang in Shik, who we saw previously uh, on in Young Master, and we both were really impressed by him. As I'll mention again, <laughs> he currently lives in Toronto and runs a martial arts school there, uh, even to this day. We have Tian Feng playing uh, the father of Dragon Ho, Jackie Chan's character again. We've seen him a number of times previously, including Jackie Chan's very first film, uh, Tiger Cub from Canton as well as Young Master, where he plays his father. Very distinctive-looking face. Some other familiar faces pop up here and there as well, uh, including Feng Hakon, who is someone I've seen in a thousand different martial arts films, who plays kind of the leader of the um, the soccer team that Jackie is, is, is campaigning against. Uh, as I was just kind of just briefly alluded to, there are two different versions of this movie, and if you get kind of the more recent releases, particularly the 88 Films version, you get both versions. There is a 96-minute Hong Kong theatrical cut. This is the most common version. If you've seen it, if you've seen it on VHS, if you've seen it on DVD, this is most likely the version that you've seen. And there's a 103-minute work-in-progress cut, which has about 15 minutes of different footage, as well as things in a different order. Liam and I, for this episode, we actually watched the longer cut. Uh, though I have to say, Liam, and I don't know if you agree with this, I think it's the weaker of the two cuts. And we'll talk about why that is in just a minute. But before we do any of that, Liam, what did you think of Dragon Lord? I mean, look, I don't usually like sports movies, right? <laughs> um, I, I mean, here's the thing, Doug. There are aspects of this movie that I think are very endearing, right? But for my taste, nothing really interesting happens till a full hour into the movie, a full ass hour. Uh, Specifically, by the way, we're again, we're talking about the work in progress, 103 minute cut. Right, 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 right. And so, um, you know, the it, it was very validating for me to actually see people play this, uh, you know, this shuttlecock soccer game. That's uh -huh. that, that was sick. Uh, but that sequence is very long. And if you tell me, Doug, that actually you've read that that was the sequence that was the hardest to shoot, I'd believe you because it's the only reason that they I mean. Here's here's the thing, Doug. It almost felt like they included like real time game. Like it didn't feel like how you would show a sporting event where you'd cut it up into little bits and pieces. It just felt like a real time game with various edits. Unnecessary, unnecessary. I, that sequence was necessary. The length of it was unnecessary. It's it's really long, um, and it's fun in some ways, but it, it just goes on forever. And we spend a lot of time just seeing the ways that. Uh, the dragon lord, you know, dragon ho, uh -huh. that he is just kind of like a jerk off, you know? Yes. And and cowboy is also a jerk off. And the question yep. is, which of them are bigger jerk offs? And while some of those sequences are actually funny, a lot of them are not that funny to me. And so the whole first hour, I just felt like I wasn't that engaged by the movie. And then when things pick up with these smugglers who are going to steal these artifacts and sell them to the highest bidder, things start to get a little more interesting and then they explode. And the reason I'm not just saying, and this movie sucks is because I, people will know, and we've talked about this before. Uh, Jackie Chan tends to have a few different sort of characters he plays. Yeah. And this is the character that is a goofy dummy who is not good at martial arts, but is lucky. Right. And through tenacity and luck, he doesn't die. Right. I've seen him do this character in a few other movies, too. It's not as popular as the idiot who's also good at martial arts one, which I happen to be. That happens to be my favorite is I'm amazing at martial arts, but I make a lot of dumb mistakes and it's funny. Sure. That's my favorite one. But this one is really solid. In this movie, I think this might be one of his best fights where the character doesn't know how to fight. Right. Mm -hmm. He just is willing to get hurt. He's athletic. Like he's an athlete. And that's been proven to us, though. I do think putting the 
pyramid rugby scene at the beginning the way the other version does would have made the case that he's an athlete a lot more clearly instead mm-hmm. of putting it at the end. Uh, and we believe that he is at this point brave, though earlier in the movie, not so brave, I don't think. He's a little bit like <laughs> whatever. But at this point, he just decides like, okay, I'm not going to give up. I don't mind getting hurt. I'm just going to try. And one of the best parts about that, and we'll, we'll get into specific parts, but parts, but the, the one of the things about that fight that I've never seen him do before, but I think really reflects the vibe of this character is he decides he can't win the fight. So he's just going to throw himself off the balcony holding yeah. on to the guy. And he's like, if I'm going to die, you're going to die. Yeah. Those things looked real Doug. And I kept thinking uh-huh. they're going to fall and die while they're filming. Like it looks so believable that that's what someone would do to try to just murder this person with them. So like, like murder suicide. This yeah. Person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so well done and worked so well for this kind of character that that sequence almost won the movie for me. One over, one me over for the movie, and honestly, that rugby section where y'all they climb this giant baby pyramid, and then it's not really rugby, but they're it's it's you know it's more actually like if anyone played the slippery watermelon game where you're trying to get the watermelon, it's like it's like that, you know, <laughs> or a greased up pig, <laughs> yeah, or a greased up pig. Um, if if that sequence is also really impressive, though also scary because people are just getting hurt a lot oh, in it. Oh man, they sure are so fucked up, you know. Um, if that had been earlier in the movie, I think this would have been a more exciting watch. But I just feel like the whole first hour is kind of a bummer. Like, there's plot, but that plot just isn't that compelling for me um, until things really pick up in, in, the, in the final 45 minutes of the movie. There's a lot of hijinks in that first hour, right? Because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. all about how he's a precocious you – know, this is a, sort of the role that we've seen him in somewhat times before. He has a strict father who wants him to be doing his studies, but he also has a lot of friends who want him to goof off and do nothing all day. So he's playing that, that, that same sort of character where he's trying to avoid all of his responsibilities. And the movie thinks that that is hilarious, but because of the structure of the longer version of this movie, we have not seen him do anything athletically interesting – Right up into the point where we see that soccer game, and uh, and because of the length, length, uh, the longer runtime of the 103 minute version, there's also more footage that takes place before that soccer game in the context of the movie we saw, which includes this really long sequence where he has to recite poetry to his father, and that thing goes on for like 10 minutes, and it's very culturally specific in a way that's impossible to kind of fully comprehend as someone who's outside of that culture and it just goes on and on and we're supposed to think it's funny and it's not very funny because it's only one joke which is that he does not know the poetry so everyone has got to try to help him and he has stuff written down on his shoes and on the floor and it's like you know it's amusing enough as like a 30 second or a couple of minute long sequence but it goes on for like 10 minutes and it's just like when are we going to get to the fights when are the fights going to happen and then we do get to the fights eventually Liam and they're different. They're not like the kind of fights that we were seeing in earlier Jackie Chan movies, which had like that a lot of that kind of florid and fluid movement um, and a lot of the dance like martial arts uh, sequences. Because, like you said, even though he's obviously has some martial arts training, the character, I mean, in this movie, this isn't that kind of kung fu movie. He doesn't get, as we already, as he was saying about himself, he doesn't get the training sequence where he becomes a martial arts master, so he's going to be able to go toe-to-toe with the actual martial arts master that he encounters later. He has to do it through props and luck and, you know, teaming up on the guy instead. But we'll talk about that fight in just a little bit. I want to ask you, though, Jackie, you know, he had a chip on his shoulder. He wanted to make something that was more Hollywood-like to some extent. What differentiates this movie from the movies he was making before he went to Hollywood? Well, this is, I mean, I joked about it being a sports movie, right? But what it really is is a comedy. And uh, he did some comedic work before he went to Hollywood. But this is like very explicitly like this isn't a kung fu movie that has jokes in it. This is a comedy. And while there is this extended fight sequence, it's not the thing that people are used to. It doesn't mark the boxes of what... Uh, other martial arts movies were doing at the time. It really is a movie that just happens to have this action sequence. And this sequence is really why you'll remember later in his career, he kept saying, I'm more influenced by Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin than I am sure. by Bruce yep. Lee. That's this shit. Yep. It's so bust. I mean, granted, Buster King couldn't do some of the shit he does in this, right? Because there right. is also his physical ability, but it is very much that it is supposed to be funny that he is trying to fight this guy and he doesn't know how to fucking fight, but he won't give up. 
Right. That sequence on the roof with the spears coming yes. up. I mean, that is that is pure Buster Keaton type comedy. And it's and it's impre- it's an impressive sequence. I think if I was more stoked on the movie, I'd be more stoked on that sequence as well. But that's at that point, I'm trying. I'm being won over after a long time of being kind of bored, right? So, um, but yeah, I, I just think it's the idea that it's more Hollywood doesn't really work in my mind because. Um, it's not that much there are bigger sequences in it of certain kinds of things but overall it doesn't feel like if that's what he was going for is something that felt a little more western or hollywood it doesn't quite hit that for me but it is certainly different than what people expected in a martial arts movie i think the fact that there are really lengthy very complex sequences that took a long time to shoot and that were obviously had a lot of planning in advance. That is the only real major difference. That and the fact that the the fights are a lot shorter and a lot more brutal to a certain extent, and are a lot more, as I said before, prop focused. But we saw some of that in the Young Master already. It kind of felt like a direction he was already going right, in. Right. But the action just feels different in this. And it's not that it, the scope is so much larger, like a Hollywood movie. It's just the I think the amount of time that they had to work on it was larger. And then that would then differentiate itself further in the 1980s with the production values of everything just getting bigger as Jackie became more and more successful. I mean, it must have been kind of wild for them to be like, here's a blank check, spend a year making this movie, he comes back with this, and then they release it and it's a fucking bomb. Golden Harvest must have been like, okay, so this guy got into the triads, we had to send him to the States, couldn't make any successful movies there, comes back, makes a bomb. They probably thought that they had a lemon with Jackie Chan. I mean, that's like three years that they've wasted on him at this point. It must have been interesting to think about what their perspective was um, in regards to, you know, what they thought they were going to get out of him for the rest of the uh, the decade. Well, so- it, it makes me wonder, too, like what the other prospects were, because clearly it's not just them, right? Like in the thing that he wrote, he said the advanced sales on distribution were so intense that they were willing to get they weren't even mad about giving him the money because they were going to make their money back from distribution and i'm thinking so it's not just them there's a whole market of people who are like jackie chan he's the future yeah yeah. and it's like really because like i mean we've watched some good movies he was in but the idea that like he had already garnered enough goodwill that people were willing to spend that money is kind of surprising to me even knowing that he would eventually be worth all that and more you know yeah yeah absolutely i think it's just because at that time, these movies, they moved through the world kind of slowly, right? So that it was 78 for uh, Drunken Master, and then it's getting released, you know, in Japan and in the States. And it's just moving around the world. And his success, even though now it's taken like three years, it th- there's still a kind of resonance of, oh, Jackie Chan, I can't wait to see what he's doing next. You know, it kind of reminds me, maybe this, this is a terrible comparison because Stephen Chow was massive in Hong Kong by the time that things like Shaolin Soccer and, uh, and Kung Fu Hustle came out. But you know how after Kung Fu Hustle, it kind of felt like, oh, Stephen Chow might become a massive star in the U.S. People are like celebrating him. And then it's just like, there's just nothing, right? There was talks of him like he was going to be in the Green Hornet and that maybe he might make an American movie. But then it just didn't materialize. And now he's still making work and he's still hugely successful with his Journey to the West movies. But it's just like, you know, he just never became the star that Jackie Chan eventually became in the U.S. Not that becoming the big star in the U.S. is all... All that anyone should care about. Liam, this is our first look at Mars uh, as uh, as the uh, the co-star of this movie. What did you think of the chemistry between Jackie and Mars? I mean, it's definitely fun. I think if I was more sold on the humor, I would actually be really into it. Uh, I, I like that they have this kind of friendly rivalry with each other. Um, but, uh, you know, not all the humor in these movies lands for me. It, it's just it's a lot of them honestly fighting over a girl and yeah. it just gets old. It just got really old for me though. I will say <laughs> I couldn't help but giggle at some of the stuff, especially the scene where he literally pees on Jackie. That kind of made me laugh. <laughs> uh, I should say, by the way, that if you are able to get the 88 films version of this movie, please do so. Liam and I actually watched the splendid films version, I believe. And um, the, the subtitles on the 88 films one are much better. I only noticed that afterwards. Not that it's that complex of a plot anyway. Uh, yeah, a lot of this movie is about them fighting over a girl. Um, Jackie, what he mentions there about the, the kite and uh, flying over the love letter, that becomes a big thing, at, at, not at the beginning of the movie, about halfway through the movie. Uh, but that really never gets resolved. What did you think of that? The subplot involving uh, Jackie trying to hook up with a character named Sexy. I mean... It felt like a distraction at a certain point. Like it was yep. at first the focus of the movie. 
And then it even resolves that she likes him to some extent, right? Because she lies about, you know, uh-huh. she, she asks, she prays for, you know, this stick if I'm supposed to be with him and this other stick if I'm not. And she gets the one that says she shouldn't be with him. And then she lies about what she got, thus suggesting that she likes him. And then she's gone. She never comes back. And she's gone from the movie. <laughs> and I, you know, I guess I could say, oh, I wish they had wrapped up that plot. But that whole part of the movie feels like a waste of time, honestly. So I didn't really care that she didn't come back. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't mean anything to me. And we don't. I think if we had spent more time with her so that we would know her character more, that would also mean something. But other than a little, you know, a little bit here and there, we don't really see much of her as a character. She disappears for so much of the film that it's hard to recognize her when she shows up again to a certain extent. I mean, you just don't she doesn't register in any specific way. So, you know, we see her at the very beginning of the movie, but then she doesn't show up again for what? 30 minutes it's just hard to to make anything of that it feels kind of half-baked and like it it the idea that this was ever called young master and love doesn't make sense in the movie that we see um so let us turn to the action i want to make something really clear because we watched the lengthier version liam i think that both of us are not as appreciative of the structure of this movie as we would be otherwise what i mean is the way that this movie has been seen by most of the people in the world is that it starts with the football pyramid thing, right? It gets to the soccer game at the 45-minute mark as opposed to almost an hour in. And then it leads into the final act, which is really terrific. It has lots of great action stuff all the way through it. Um, and that would be so much of a easier movie to watch and a more, you know, a, a, a more... It would be a much easier movie to appreciate in terms of its action. That said... What is your favorite action sequence of the movie? We mentioned already that it has those two kind of sports sequences. They're definitely like over the top, central, lengthy sequences. But what was your favorite of the ones that you watched? Was it those or was there something else in the movie that you really liked? Uh, and we're talking about the fighting and the and the sports sequences. Basically, right? yeah. All the action in the movie, which includes both those two sequences, which are just a lot more stunt-based because there's not really fighting in them. There was lots of people getting hurt. And also the fights generally. I mean – uh, I will smush together Big Boss versus Dragon Ho and Cowboy Chin, and then Big Boss just versus Dragon Ho. That whole sequence is great. I really appreciated um, the Cowboy stuff because uh, with Mars because um, he's losing his mind, right? He's he's in grief yeah. over his dad, which is also a gag, by the way, because his dad is not dead, but he just assumes right. he's dead, so he's going nuts with this whatever and. It has all the earmarks of something you see in other kung fu movies where someone is so overwhelmed with rage, grief, whatever it is, that suddenly they can do things they couldn't do before. But it doesn't matter because the big boss is tough. So he keeps doing these incredible things, and the big boss just skips around them and that makes him look bad, right? And I thought that was really well done, and it was fun to watch. And then that leads into the the just big boss versus Dragon Ho. And Jackie's just, I think... If you like him, not just for straight up fighting, but for his interesting stunt work where he's yeah. doing really amazing things, that's some of the best stuff that he's done. Certainly up to this point, let's say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe he surpasses it in later films. But I think in this film, it stands out maybe because there's been so little of it, right? So to transition from a movie where there's some fun sequences, but there's not that much to something that is so impressive, it really won me over. I will say... I also think the pyramid thing is fun, right? It's it's maybe not as exciting as a fight scene, but it is so over the top. So many people, so many folks getting hurt, probably in real life. And it's such a fun way to represent what really amounts to rugby, right? Which is, can be kind of boring. But instead, this one involves a lot of like trickery and silliness and fun sort of, uh, you know, really uh, – almost slapstick humor that that is just was a good time for me. And honestly, I think I'm kind of jealous. I kind of wish we had watched the other version because I think it's a really great intro to a movie. It also makes no sense to put it after the final boss is defeated, right? right? The movie's over. The movie's over in a way that in all traditional Kung Fu movies, it would just be a, a frozen screen and be like the end. Right. And then the movie's like, okay, Let's have one more big action sequence. Makes no sense at all to put it at the end. It, it definitely fits better at the beginning. I have to say, though, Liam, that that is by far my favorite sequence in the movie. For those, you know, I mentioned Ong Bak earlier. Um, Ong Bak has a similar thing where it starts with 
all those people kind of climbing that tree, I think it is, to try to get to the top of it. And this is, you know, a similar thing where you have all of these bodies climbing this thing and they all represent parts of their village. And it's it's scary to watch because you are seeing people absolutely get hurt all over the place. Like you can just look all over the frame and just see people falling in dangerous ways, including Jackie himself, who takes a terrible fall. Uh, falling from the, the the groups of bodies there's just no way to control it so when he says in the book about how the hospital was was full of people it had to be this sequence that he's talking about because there's there's literally dozens and dozens of stuffmen all just falling on their necks off of this thing and then even afterwards once it just becomes uh the throwing the ball around there's such intricate sequences like people like they're getting tackled and throwing it as they're getting tackled it is a it is just amazing and impressive Though that said, Liam, the the thing I'm going to take away is probably the takeaway from this movie generally is that final fight because the way that it's impactful feels like it looks forward to the movies that we're going to be watching in the remainder of the 80s where when someone gets kicked, they're flying across the room or yep, they're, yeah. they're getting they're flipped upside down. That The way that the boss, the big boss, the bad guy, um, the way that he arrives where it looks like they finally saved this, this guy who was like uh, – uh, He's been hiding out with them. They've been trying to nurse him back to health. He just is about to leave, and like it feels like they've gotten away with everything. He leaves and walks out, and then you see him just get kicked all the way through the room, basically kicked to death immediately afterwards by the big boss. There's just something more impactful and more substantial about the way that that action happens. And that part where Jackie comes down the grain silo thing and kicks the big boss upside down, and they pile all the stuff on him to kill him. Just wild stuff all around. Do you want to talk just a little bit about the fighting generally? And this is not the only fight scene in this. The very first fight scene we see is between Jackie and Mars, where they're just like, it's not even a a choreographed one. It's just, they're just like hurling each other around. What do you think about the fights generally in this movie? Um, I mean, I think they're okay. They they certainly do what they want to do. Uh, The scene in the temple where the boss's guys are going after the lieutenant, that's, it's kind of fun and then Jackie jumps in to defend him and I I really liked that sequence as well because again uh, in some movies they're tempted to make the the character who is Jackie seem really tough and he doesn't seem tough he seems bold he's certainly athletic but he he can't fight he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing he's just smart and I think well maybe not smart right because he's dumb in other ways but (laughs) clever in this scenario and I and I like that I like that it really shows he's just doing this, by the way, because he's trying to show off for this girl he really likes. And there's something yep. about that that would work, especially if I cared about the relationship, which I don't. But it, it almost <laughs> kind of works, you know. Um, he does that great backflip off the wall, too, in that sequence. Mm-hmm. He's doing mm-hmm. a lot of cool stuff with what's available to him. But, I mean, you really see kind of, again, the baby steps towards the very yes. prop-heavy stuff that we're going to be seeing coming up. Uh, and you already mentioned this, but when Jackie as Dragon is on the roof trying to get the kite and they start spearing through the roof, it's not as exciting as some of the other things, but it is very impressive. And a lot of the things he does in that sequence are similar to other movies where you're like, you're going to get hurt. Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Like, it, it doesn't look like pretend. It looks when like he's hurling himself off that roof. It kind of feels like he's trying to get hurt on purpose. You know what 100%. I mean? It's just like, how can you do that without getting hurt? He's like, I'm just going to do it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I think that the only thing I would say is kind of a, a bummer is there's a point earlier on where the lieutenant's trying to get away and um, Cowboy and Dragon are hunting a pheasant and they run yeah. into the big boss and they get beat up a teeny bit, just a little bit. It's a quick little whatever. Sure. I wish there was a little bit more to that scene, but I don't think narratively it would make sense. I just think at that point in the movie, I just wanted something exciting to happen. So yeah, I was like, right? here we go. And then it just stops. And I'm like, fuck. You know, like it just, <laughs> it was a bummer. And then I got to say, again, I, I know I'm, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse on this one, but a more uh, efficiently cut uh, John Z game would have been exciting. I think it's just the length of it. After a while, you're like, yep, they're still doing the cool thing with the shuttlecock. It just starts to get. I don't know. It just starts to wear on me. Whereas when they first started, I'm like, holy shit, this is a real game. I'm watching people do it, and it looks fucking cool. But it's just, why is it so long, man? I don't need that much of the it's game. It's also, it's, a, it's like, it's just suddenly, it's like, so wait, who are these people that they're against? Right? Yeah, why, why is, is this, this even st- happening? I don't know. Why understand. is this happening? Is this like the final game of a tournament? Is this, how important is this that they win? We see that the, the people that they're they're competing against they cheat or at least the main guy does and he's kind of an asshole it's like okay well that's enough of a reason to dislike him but it's just like 
it feels like it could have come out of an entirely different kind of movie or that the entire movie should have been about that instead of what's going on in the movie. What am I crazy? Did they even mention this sport at any other time in the movie? No, it just, it just shows up and he's just playing. And that's just the thing. He's just playing the game. It's strange. It is kind of odd. This is a movie that has amazing sequences that don't fit together as well as they probably should. No. Uh, the, the best parts of this movie are as good as any movie that we've seen from Jackie Chan so far. And in some ways, they're going to be more memorable than some of those other sequences because those ones are more incorporated into their plots. While these ones, you can just say, hey, remember the football sequence? Hey, remember the, the Jiangxi sequence? Remember the part with, you know, it's it's a little bit easier to point to them. So uh, I, I, in some ways, you know, uh, the, they'll, they'll probably resonate a little bit more a few movies down the line. Well, in his in his biography, he said straight up, they started production before he had a script, which is, I guess, not that uncommon in other things he's done. But in this case, it's fucking clear to me that nobody knew what this movie was about or how it was going to go. You know what I mean? Like, it just really feels like this is a movie where he's making it up as he goes along and he thinks he has something that works in his head. But watching it, I'm like, no, this is not a movie. There's not a narrative here, really. It's funny because the big thing that he's going to take away from Hollywood uh, that's going to really revolutionize the way movies are made generally by him and martial arts movies in particular is the pre-planning aspect of it, right? It's the idea of, of having that set up and to, to make the plots a little bit more important and to integrate the action a little more directly into it. Liam, do you have any idea why this movie wasn't a financial success in Hong Kong? Like, why why didn't this movie resonate like his previous one? Um, it might- Remembering, of course, that they all saw the version which starts with the with the 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 football sequence. I mean, it might very well be a case of giving people something they didn't want, right? Like, mm-hmm. famously, any artist, like this is probably m- most common in music. Whenever an artist branches beyond what they're known for, there'll probably be a segment of people who are like not interested, right? So I don't know that it was a backlash thing, but it very well could be like, oh, Jackie Chan, we're gonna get a cool kung fu movie. This is not a kung fu movie, even though it has cool sequences. It is not. It is not what I think people were associating him with, and maybe that left a bad taste in their mouth. It also just could be weird timing. Maybe people were not as excited about his work because they actually saw Cannonball Run and were bummed on it, like I was. <laughs> I also think that there's an element to his character here that isn't as enjoyable as some of his previous characters he's just so cocky from the beginning and if it starts i mean even if it starts with him winning you know the 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 football thing and getting the egg or whatever like he wins everything in this right he even he wins the the football game as uh, sorry he wins the soccer game as well he just he doesn't struggle enough and i think the struggle is some of the stuff that people like most about some of those earlier movies um and because he's not as likable as he was in those movies either especially after the struggle that it's a little harder to connect with him as a character. Um, what did you think of the outtakes that he includes in here? We already talked about it a little. It's nice that they're here, but they don't, they're not like uh, the outtakes that would kind of define Jackie Chan's outtakes are the ones where he's like either getting hurt and then it shows him like being carted off in a, in a ambulance or ones where he like fucks up and then he like laughs afterwards here. It just seems like, Oh, we went to a lot of effort and it was also really dangerous sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I didn't care. I, I was not inclined uh, to remember much about them. They just they were there, but they didn't stick out to me the way that you know there there are some of his movies where I remember like specific details about you know famously when he breaks his foot jumping onto the hovercraft. Yeah, in uh, in Rumble, Rumble in the Bronx, the Bronx. Mm-hmm. you can't forget that. And then when he you see him in the fake shoe running around in a cast with a fake yeah. shoe over top, that's unbelievable. Nothing about these was anything like that. The only one that I think I'm going to remember is there is a great scene where he's thrown off the top of the the farm building that they're in and he lands on Mars like Mars throws himself underneath him. And there is one outtake of that where he's thrown and Mars doesn't get there in time. And he kind of like they just collide in a really violent kind of way. It's a nice reminder that what they're doing is actually super dangerous, which uh, you don't actually forget very often when you're watching this anyway, because people are getting injured. All over the place, including Jackie himself, who injured his chin. I think he injured it on the rooftop sequence where he's getting thrown around. And it made it so it was painful for him to talk for a while, which made it hard for him to direct. I wonder why. I wonder if that's why in that in that weird sequence of the American woman uh, doing the, the report from set that you see someone else calling action for a lot of the scenes. I was surprised by that as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 
Ah, yeah. What do you? So let's finish off here. What did you think of Jackie Chan's performance as Dragon Ho? I said before, like it, it's not really the kind of character he was playing in Snake in the Eagle's Shadow or Drunken Master. Um, he's a little more cocky. He's a little more of um, a prick, to be honest. And I don't know if that's why audiences didn't take to it. But what did you think of his performance outside of the the character? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that the character sucks, but he. And maybe this is part of the problem. He really does embody how much this character sucks. So, like, maybe that's why part of the movie doesn't work is because he's so good at being a dickhead. Uh, I thought it was. I thought he was great for what it was. Right? Like, he can do all this amazing performance when he needs to be physical. He can be when he needs to sell a goofy thing. He can sell it. I think if if there's a problem with the movie, it really is about the script and then in our case, the editing, right? The decision to sequence it in a certain way. But I don't know, as much as I think people should watch the other version, I don't know if the other version is going to save this whole thing because I do think there's a central narrative problem with the movie in that it's not sure what it's actually about, you know? Yeah. And do you think that the character ends up being unlikable in the movie as the version that we saw? Yeah. I mean, I think he's played other unlikable characters, but... Sure. In the version of that character he's played before, it's a martial arts movie. So what we watch is that character basically eat shit for a sequence. Like there's a montage of the dickhead eating shit. And because he eats shit so much that when he seems a little less like a dickhead, we believe it. Because it's like, yeah, he had to go through a lot of stuff just to not be bad at everything. And in this movie, he just decides to like not run away basically like that's the big thing and that's cool but that doesn't make him less annoying and maybe that's not what people wanted from jackie chan at this point maybe they wanted him to be a little more charming which we know he's capable of doing he certainly isn't in the jackie chan cliche mold that we would no. see later no on, no no right? no, no, no. Uh, yes. he doesn't have that naivete and this is sort of it's it you know it, it it is a kung fu movie and but like you said the comedy is right at the front and a lot of it is this kind of not sex comedy necessarily, but he's just supposed to be this troublesome, horny guy who's trying to get with this w- woman for a lot of it. It just isn't the same kind of character that I think people took to uh, when it came to Jackie Chan. They'll probably a little closer to him as a real life figure at this point in his life. I mean, uh, I think I think there's a point at which, it, you know, this is what year is this again? 83 or 82? Uh, 82, yeah. I think by 82, when people said Kung Fu, martial arts, however they describe these movies, it's not about fighting. Movies have fighting. All kinds of movies have fighting. Fighting is a thing in movies. What they mean is a certain structure. And this movie lacks that structure. And then the fighting it does have is different than what people are used to seeing. I think it's like it's in that sense a very different movie than uh, and which is, again, that's what he wanted. But I don't think in this case it, it worked out for him. I think I like this movie more than you did, uh, simply because I thought that the big sequences were enough to carry a lot of it, though I did, just like you, found the first half of it to be a lot more difficult to enjoy. I do think that the original edit is, for people who are listening to this, I mean, the big message from this is watch the original edit. I think you'll enjoy it much, much more than the version that uh, Liam and I saw. Liam, any final thoughts on Dragon Lord? I mean, I didn't, I didn't hate it. It's, it's, it's fine for what it is. I just, I just wish it was. I, considering the quality of some of the sequences, I wish the whole movie was better because I think more people would would see it then. Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's at least uh, this is a movie that we can see in those various versions. And again, as we've mentioned on a lot of our podcasts, the 88 films version of this has tons of special features, tons of interviews with people involved, and the two cuts of the movie, so you can compare yourself. Liam, on the next episode of We Do Our Own Stunts, uh, this is a big one for me. We are finally going to go to uh, Jackie's debt repayment for Jimmy Wang Yu helping him out of his triad situation with the absolutely bonkers fantasy mission force set during World War II. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I think I may have mentioned this before. After Rumble in the Bronx came out, I was like... Wow, Jackie Chan's amazing. I got to go to Blockbuster Video and find a Jackie Chan movie to watch. And the only ones they had at that time were things like To Kill with Intrigue and Fantasy Mission Force. Now, uh, I'm going to spoil something for you already, Liam. Jackie is, is put front and center in a lot of the marketing for this movie. He's in it for a very short amount of time. However... It is It is not going to be boring. I promise you that, or at least my memories are. It's been a long time since I saw this movie. So on the next episode, Fantasy Mission Force. Looking forward to it, Liam? I am. I am very much. <laughs> I've, never, I've never seen it. I don't know anything about it. 
well, we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll see if it lives up to my own memories at the very least on the next episode if we do our own stunts. But, uh, Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of this podcast, this chronological look at the life and career of Jackie Chan, what's the best way for them to do so? Or if, uh, where can people find other great podcasts? Well, uh, if folks want to head over to Cinepunks.com, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, they'll not only find the latest episodes of Cinema Smorgsburg, but also a whole family of interesting uh, film and other cultural podcasts that I think are worth your time to check out and enjoy, some of which I'm on, some of which I'm not, whichever you prefer. Uh, If they want to explore our archive and maybe even uh, search for our shows based upon what topic we're covering, they can head to cinemasmorgasport.com where all of our various topics are organized by topic or, you know, just, just subscribe, you know, just follow and listen to every episode. They're all great, right? I mean, the Eric Eric Roberts show kind of sucks, but otherwise (laughs) they're all great, you know? Um, And of course, you know, we're on uh, Cinema. This show is on Twitter at Cinema Smorg and Cinepunks is on all the social medias, I think, mostly. I guess we're not on Telegram, but on everything else, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, find us. It's cool. Yeah, you can find our entire podcast archive over at cinemasmorgasport.com or on Twitter slash X at cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. Yeah, there's podcasts devoted to such diverse topics as the career as we are seeing of Jackie Chan, Carol Kane, Steve Buscemi, Alejandro Jodorowsky, George Kennedy, so many and and more <laughs> always coming over at cinemasmorgasport.com. If you enjoy what you're listening to, why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice or even better, why don't you tell a friend about it? You can tell them, hey, you like Jackie Chan, maybe you should listen to this podcast and then they could be angry at us for getting stuff wrong. But uh, uh, I think, Liam, for now, we need to take a little break. We're going to be back really soon with Fantasy Mission Force. Good night, everyone. Good You be well.